What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Recover Out Loud, episode number 60, brought to you by the Anti-Social Network. Today, we got an awesome guest, super awesome from across the country, up north in the cold north, S.E. Bagheri. How you doing? I'm doing great, Sean. Thank you for having me on your show. Ah, thank you. Thank you for being on, man. Thank you for volunteering and 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 uh, and you know, really, really stepping forward. I, I'm I'm super happy to have you today. My pleasure. All right, uh, Essie, would you like to give us a, a formal introduction of yourself? For sure. Uh, my name is Essie Bagheri, and uh, I live in uh, a beautiful uh, Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada, and. Uh, I've been here for almost 35 years, and uh, me and Sean, we have lots to talk about today. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we yes, do. Yes, yes. Vancouver, man, that's, that's, uh, is it cold at this time of year? It, you know what? It's a little chilly right now, but uh, it, it's beautiful. Like, like right now, if I show you my view, it's uh, like it's ocean view, it's uh, very green, and uh, uh, I'm blessed. Uh, I don't know if you've been here, but it's a really place to visit. No, no, I've never been there. It's it's been a place that I've wanted to visit, but I haven't. Um, and, and you know, I woke up. I live in West Virginia, and mm -hmm. and so it's normally like pretty warm. I woke up this morning, and I was like, "Goodness, it's so cold." I walked out of the room and into the laundry room, and it was just like freezing cold. And it's been that way all day. That's why I got the hoodie on. And yeah, because I'm I'm bald, and it gets really cold. <laughs> we have the same hair to haircut. Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> Yeah, we do. So what are what are some some things that you like to do uh, when the weather's nice in, in Vancouver? You know what? Uh, I, uh, I I do. I exercise regularly. Uh, something that is really uh, I go for a hike. I live uh, in a place called Beach Avenue and uh, I go at least four or five times a week. Uh, I go for a long walk and a uh, uh, lot of a uh, lot of meetings, a lot of uh, recovery uh stuff that i do and uh, and uh, and having fun you know because you can't you can't be sober and not having fun so yeah. a lot of his stuff yeah you know and i you brought up a good point you can't be sober and not have fun you know and, and when i got into recovery when i first got in recovery i was like man my life is gonna be boring i'm not gonna be able to do anything and you know what i can do everything i used to do when i was drinking mm -hmm. sober you know, and, and so that's a huge plus to me. Life changes when, when we get sober. Oh, totally. And, and, you know, Sean, this is the stigma that people, they don't know. And I'm, gl I'm really glad that you do things like that. And that's what my podcast is about, recovery and trauma. Because there is a stigma about recovery, about addiction, about, uh, and uh, people, they really don't know that this is, this is like a made, this is a life changing you, your audience will find out a little bit about my story in, as we go along. And, but this is uh, recovery is, it's, um, you can't put price on it, brother. You can't oh. put price on it. It's absolutely the best thing that happened to me. At the same time, Sean, I, there was one point that I thought that's the worst thing happened to me. Why? Poor me. Look where I end up. But who would have known? Who would have known? Yeah, I used to look at, at the day that really transformed everything for me. And I used to say, oh, that was the worst day ever, right? Mm -hmm. But honestly, if that day hadn't happened, I wouldn't be here where I'm at today. I'd probably be in jails, institutions, mm -hmm. or dead, you know? Totally, totally. See, here's I, I just came from a meeting, and uh, one of my friends was just celebrating five years. And, uh, like, it's... Uh, you see people, you come to this room. Like, I've been around for 25 years. I'm not 25 years sober, Sean. I'm I'm coming up in June, going to be nine years. But here's the thing, for I really, really fought this because I thought I I know I know how to say so. I've been to 17 treatment center, 29 detoxes, psych ward, homelessness, and here is how I used to do. I was, you know what? I believe the only the only time that we change as a as a human is when we get uh, we get to the point. But our illness, our I call it illness because it is to me. Because what else? You know, I I would come to these uh, 
like I would lose everything that I have and I would crawl to these detoxes and treatment center. I said, this time is going to be different. And I really meant it. Yeah. Like if you would have come and do a lie detector, Sean, I would pass 110% that that's it for me. Guess what happened? I would go to treatment and I would just, uh, you know, and then after a month, I would completely forget the memory and suffering and humiliation and the people that I heard. And I would want to just get back and uh, making money and work and relationship. And the next thing you know, I have no solution. And I felt like restless, irritable, discontent. And I would pick up. And this is repeated over and over and over. And unless uh, until the last time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you, you did bring up some good points there, you know, that I, I've, I've been in that in that situation, too, where where I would get some sobriety on my hands. Now, I wouldn't even call it sobriety because, like, I didn't do anything to help myself. Right. Like I wasn't mm -hmm. I, I didn't I didn't go to AA. I, I didn't go to NA. I didn't I wasn't in a treatment center. I've been to a treatment center before, but never been in a treatment center. And then like. I would always put my recovery on other people. I'd say, if you, you know, as long as you're still here, I'm still sober, right? Mm -hmm. And then when that person left, I had nothing to be sober for. And and so, boom, you know, so I was just dry drunk in it. I was, I was white knuckling in and it, it just, it, it didn't work. And, and finally, like you, like you said, you know, this time it's different. And, and I said that to myself, I said, this time it's different because, you know, I thought I could control my drinking. I thought it was the, I thought it was the situation I was in. I thought it was the people that I was around and it had mm -hmm. nothing to do with them and everything to do with me. The common denominator and all that was me. And I did, I failed to see it until the very last time. Oh, absolutely. I, I always uh, share that every time I, I do a lot of uh, speaking uh, in different uh, format. And uh, I always say that, that, I, I remember the first time, the first time that I reached out for help, it was 25 years ago. And uh, I just, uh, uh, I had this uh, beautiful soul, which trying to help me. She was my, my uh, girlfriend at the time. And uh, she left her bank card by mistake in my house. And I knew the pin number. And I told myself that night I was restless, irritable, discontent. And I said, I'm just going to go and take $40. And uh, that night I went 10 times to the bank machine using her. And then she came the next day and said, she find out what I did. And, uh, and she said, Essie, I can't do this anymore. And she yeah. started crying and said, Essie, get help. And she just took off. I said, what should I do? And at the time I didn't know. So here's the thing. I didn't know anything about AA or 12 steps or anything or detox. I thought, Sean, this is crucial. I thought because, see, my mom used to tell me, see, when I, when you was a, when you were a baby, uh, I used to, you, you cry a lot. So I would put opium in your milk to calm you down. So I thought, they're going to take me to hospital. They're going to do a blood transfusion, changing my blood, and I'm going to be okay. And I swear, that was like, that was my perception of it's in my blood. And then I called this, uh, this uh, I called the operator and I said, I have problem with drinking and drugging and I really don't know what to do. And I was like bawling. And she said, honey, don't worry. I will really give you a detox number. I said, what's detox? And she paused for a second and she said, you will find out. And, uh, and that's how my recovery starts, Sean. Jeez. Wow. Um, so a little bit before you were talking about walks and, and this has been looming in my mind. You said you go on long walks, man. Like, what is a long walk for you? Because it's, every, it's, uh, it's different for everybody else. What's a long walk look like for you? Well, long walk, it's, as I said, I live in the most beautiful city and uh, the place called English Bay. And uh, I, uh, I walk like at least two, three miles a day. And, uh, and what it does for me is uh, it's part of kind of my meditation. I put something spiritual or something inspiring and I, in my headphone and, and I just walk. And I do a lot of the best my thinking. My best thinkings are while I'm on a walk. And, uh, and here's the thing. I, I learned that uh, emotion, Sean, comes from emotion. Like I have to move my body through 
through exercise, through walking, through that's part of it. There's yeah. there's many aspect into recovery and physical aspect is huge part of. I always the people that I help and the, when I talk, huge part. I I need to take be physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually fit, and uh, I'm responsible. I'm I have one body, so I have to take care of that. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so we're gonna we we talked a little bit about your story, but we're gonna dive into it. Uh, okay. What was what was it like in your act of addiction? Oh, Sean, I. Um, you see, I, I took my first drink when I was um, 14 years old. And uh, it is important for me to uh, to mention that for your audience to, to know drinking and drugging is, is not a problem. It's a, it's a symptom of underneath problem, which I didn't know. And it is crucial for your audience to understand why we do the things we do. See, me before age of 10, uh, I, at age of five, I find out that I have two mothers. Before age of 10, I was mentally, emotionally, physically, sexually abused. At age of 14, I was brainwashed, or I, I, I don't know what else to call it, at age of 14, to volunteer to go to Iran-Iraq war uh, to blow myself up. And uh, while I was in a battlefield with my friends, 13, 14 years old, I, I saw them in front of me uh, step on a landmine and blow to the pieces. And, uh, and then the impact of that explosion throws me a few meters away, Sean, and I realized I was disillusioned. I didn't know what to do. And I, take out, I took my uh, AK-47 at the age of 14 and I put it in my arm and I shot myself. So that they think that I... You see what I'm so, uh, and then uh, they sent me back home. My physical wound healed after a few months. I have like 30, 93 stitches and three surgeries, and but I had no idea the impact of psychological effect would have on me. So my addiction started, my first drink, I was in my cousin's house in, in Iran, and they were drinking vodka. And they offered me, and I, I, I hesitated for the first time. But something, I just took that drink, and something magical happened, Sean. All the feeling of shame, guilt, remorse that I had, it was like disappeared. And I loved it. I found my solution. And that's just the start. Oh, that's, wow. That's that's super impactful. Um, I... You know, you mentioned you mentioned that that the wounds that you suffered, the emotional, mental, and all the wounds that you that you suffered, kind of were were taken away when when you had that first drink. And you know, brother, I can tell you, I I agree. That first drink that I had mm -hmm. took every bit of that pain away, and it became my best friend. I had a guest on the other day, and she said, you know, alcohol became my best friend, and I I was like, yep, it was my yeah. best friend. Yeah, it it cured all the problems, right? It. it it was the answer for everything, you know, that I, I thought in the time. Totally. So, yeah. So you, you have that first drink in Iran. What, what happens next? How, how does it progress? Well, I, since then, I was living this double life. I was drinking and smoking opium. And then my other side, I was this hero that they thought that I got uh, shot by Iraqi and they rewarded me with pray you know praise and uh and i had this life that i was part of the revolution guard at the time and uh, and i was living these two lives and i start drinking every day every day and my family were realizing that i'm destructive and so they said what should we do with him so they decide at the age of 15 that uh they uh they uh I should marry someone at the age of 15 because in at those days they thought, okay, if he get married, everything is going to calm down and every, you know, that's old fashioned thinking. And they had no clue what I was going through. And that's the best they knew at the time. So I got into the forced marriage 
And that by itself was a trauma because I really didn't, it's not that if she was a bad person, it's like, I, I really didn't love her. So, and that, uh, and then my drinking got worse as, as a matter of fact. So here's what happened from Iranian government at the time, because I, I was, uh, you know, uh, um, someone who got shot in war and they take us to Syria, Damascus. And my father and my family said, it's good for you to get out of uh, Iran for a couple of weeks and go and pray and do all these things. And now I'm traveling with the people that who their kids got killed in Iran and uh, people got injured. And I'm, I'm this guy living double life. While I was, I was in Syria, Damascus, everybody trying to go uh, pray. And I saw a bar. Because I already experienced the, the the sensation produced by alcohol, that that you know the effect that produced by alcohol, and I couldn't stand in my skin anatomy. So I make excuse. I said I'm not feeling well. They went to uh, pray and do whatever they had to do. Guess where I end up? And I told myself, Sean, I'm gonna go to this uh, bar, and I'm just gonna have one or two drink. But just remember, at those days, early revolution. Drinking alcohol is against Islam and is against yeah. new regime. And I knew that I'm going to be in a deep shit if they find out. But I didn't give a shit at the time because I couldn't. I just needed something. So I went with the, with the attitude of just having one drink or two drink. Guess what happened when we do that? When we take a drink or drug or something, something happened called phenomenal. What is phenomenal? Unexplainable. I don't know why my friends just take two, three and put it aside and I take one and I just, all the best, all this is off. So I got drunk and I got into the fight with the bartender and waitress. And uh, anyways, the police had to come. I couldn't speak Arabic. Guess who brought to do the translation? It was the person who was in charge of our group. Oh man. And I was full of shame. And they they took me and I'm drunk. They took me to the hotel and everybody looking at me like I killed someone. And they say, I see you're in a deep shit. We can and they send me back. They say, Don't we don't know what to deal with you. As soon as I got back, I had a friend who works in that industry in in a government said, I see, you're in a deep shit. Get out of Iran. So in a week. I escaped from Iran to Istanbul. I was in Istanbul for a month and I was drinking and drugging every day. Then I escaped, I went to East Germany. From East Germany, I jumped in the midnight train and I went to West Germany and I became refugee in a refugee camp for two and a half years, uh, Sean. Here's the thing. While I was in Germany for two and a half years, I do not remember, Sean, that I had a sober breath in two and a half years. I would wow. steal, I would manipulate, I would cheat, I would do whatever I could to get my solution, which was alcohol and drugs. And then that's just in a Germany, so. Wow. Wow, <laughs> yes. that's. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can imagine how it was back back in that time to be, uh, you know, to be in that situation and, and be told, hey, you've got to go. You got to get out. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I can, I can only imagine, uh, you know, especially it's against Islam and everything like that. That's, that's rough. Mm -hmm. That's rough life, you know, but that, that's what, that's what alcohol and drugs do to us. They give us that effect of, we don't give a shit. It doesn't matter. None no. of that matters. No. And, you know, we, uh, I, I did a uh, TEDx talk and I talk about geographical change. Geographical change is like, and I'm pretty sure many of your audience or yourself experienced that, that, you know what, okay, now if I go to a different city or different country, so now at this time I can stay in, in uh, Germany, I experienced some racism and, uh, you know, at the time I had hair and, you know, people tell me, uh, what are you doing in my country? I, I feel like I'm not white enough, I'm not black enough, I'm not good enough, so I try to kill myself. And then I ended up in hospital. And then one of my friends came to Canada in 1988. And he says, Essie, why do, don't you 
come to Canada. Here is more freedom. There is not not racism. And I thought, you know what? Yes, I'm going to go there and change my life. And I really had the intention to be a productive member of society and be a better person. But I had no idea, Sean. I had no idea what's trauma, addiction, or anything like that. So I... Uh, he said, he sent me a couple of pictures. I sell him a couple of pictures. A month later, I see this passport. Jose Antonio Gracio something. It was a Spanish passport, which escaped. And I came to Canada, 1988. And I came with the intention of changing my life. But guess what happened? I brought myself. Yeah, yeah. You, you brought the same habits. Same habits, same personality, same uh, trauma, same everything. And... Uh, and uh, and then in Canada, I was good for a couple months because we can't stay sober for with fear. With fear, we can't stay sober. Fear can sober up for sober us up. And then I got introduced to crack cocaine. Oh, mm. uh, my life just! I thought I had problem, Sean. I thought I had problem. Wow. That's a whole I, new level of problem. That's a whole new level of problem, which uh, you might you you might know what that feels, and uh, yeah, yeah. I've I've never I've never never tested around with uh, with crack, but you know I I know I know people that have, and I've heard firsthand account. And when I got in early recovery, I I didn't understand how fast you could get hooked, mm -hmm. right? And I had and and. And so I, I, I mentioned that to a counselor in group counseling. I said, I don't, I don't believe you can get hooked that fast. And she pulled in one of the, uh, one of the participants that was standing around and she was like, Hey, you, you've done crack before. How long did it take you to get hooked? And he said that first hit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Holy crap. And then, you know, systematically over time, I hear people with the same, same thing. So, you know, uh, you get introduced to crack cocaine. What, what happens after? Well, at the, at the time, I, I was working very hard and I built a life. I had thousands of dollars in my account, nice place, furniture, stereo, car, everything. And then I got introduced to crack. In three to four months, Sean, all the money was gone. My hmm. car was gone. All the furniture has been it's gone. I sold everything. And then... Uh, then... I had the idea I couldn't pay the rent because I was so dysfunctional and I got, I was homeless in, in Toronto. And uh, so I got back on my feet again and uh, I got a rented place and a couple of my friends said, Essie, let's go another geographic country. Maybe if we go to Vancouver, it's going to be better. <laughs> so, <laughs> so another <laughs> geographical change, which, which I, uh, we moved, me and two of my friends, we drove from Toronto to Vancouver. And again, I really wanted to change. At this point, I don't know what is addiction. I didn't know that I had a problem. I just, I was just unluckiest guy living this fucking earth. That's yeah. how I felt. And so, yeah. And then I came to Vancouver and uh, I was doing good for, again, for a few months, I'm new city. We trying to behave, you know. We always yeah. trying to behave in first few months and be get a place. But same thing happened. Uh, now again, I I was working. I, I always good at making money. I, I I I had a I had a driven part in me that I always good. Like a majority of al alcoholic addicts, we are, they are smart people. They're resilient. That's why should, my talk is resiliency talk. We are resilient people. We're not a dumb people. And, uh, mm -hmm. but, so that's what happened. I went, uh, again, I was telling you my first uh, detox and then I went to this treatment. They said, you gotta go to treatment center. I said, what is treatment center? I said, oh, yeah. I went 25 years ago. I went to this street, my first treatment center, and I was uh, because I didn't have no place to live. I had to stay there, Sean, yeah. and that's the truth. Otherwise, if I had a place to live, I would be out of there like in, in a few days. <laughs> so that's what happened, and I stayed there. I was there for a month, 
this is a, this is really crucial for people, especially your audience, if they have problem with alcohol and drug. I was there for a month, and I told everybody that I would never ever touch another drink or drug again. Yeah. And somebody who was relapsing like me now, he said, "Essie, don't say that." I said, "No, you have no idea." I was there for another two months, altogether three months. I left the treatment center, Sean. Two days later, I'm back and drinking and using crack. I was baffled. Am I crazy? So that's what happened. That was my experience, first treatment center. Yeah, yeah. I I, I can I can relate and 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 understand that, you know, every time every time I've said I'm never gonna do that again. Mm-hmm. It's it's it really translates to I'm not going to do that yet. We mm-hmm. run, we live, you know, when we're in that active addiction, where we live in the realm of I haven't done it yet, or I'm, yes. I'm I I'm not I'm not ready to do it yet. So yeah, you know that's that that's that's wild. So you you get out, you 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 relapse, you lapse. Uh, what happens next? Well, I. Again, I got, I was homeless. I was uh, using drugs, drinking, and uh, seven months of torture, honestly, torture. So I went to my second treatment center. I went to my second treatment center and for 45 days. And this time, Sean, because of fear, I, I went, uh, I went first, my first meeting in Vancouver, and I got part of, uh, I got involved in a fellowship, mm-hmm. fellowship. I was involved in a fellowship and still haven't done, excuse my language, fuck all for my recovery. Yeah. And I just getting new friends, going to meetings. Again, I start start building a business. I had 20 employees working for me, hundreds of thousands of dollars in my account, five and a half years sober, dry. I can call it dry. Five and a half years dry from my meeting that I usually go. I got into my car. Instead of going home, guess where I end up? I end up in a place called Maine and Hastings, the place that is devastating. Drug use, alcoholism, people dying left and right. And if you would have asked me, Sean, 10 minutes before that, that's why I call it suddenly, suddenly from nowhere, the thought came. That's a second symptom. That if you would have asked me 10 minutes before that, that, Essie, you're going to go and you're going to destroy your life and you're going to be homeless in no time and same shit, I would tell you that you are a liar. Because yeah. I still, if you'd have come to me and said, Essie, can you describe to me what you're suffering? I asked, and I would say, yeah, I drink too much. I fight. I drink and drive. And, you know, and, uh, but I didn't know what was the problem, Sean. That's yeah. basically what happened. Yeah, yeah. We, we don't, we tend to not know what the problem is. You know, especially, you know, if we haven't worked on our recovery at all, you know, no. we're just abstaining We're that's really all we're doing. So mm-hmm. I do have a question because I like to ask this to people that, of course. That, that, that talk about that going in the rooms. Do you remember your first meeting and what was your first impression like at the meeting? I hated it. <laughs> okay. Especially, especially when, See, here's the thing, especially, remember I said when I went to that first treatment center, if I had a place, if I had somewhere to live, I would go because I went to this meeting and I saw the word God. Everything else just disappeared for me. I hated God. And I explained to you why, because age of 14, I shot myself. I went to war because I'm named God. I just hated God, but I, uh, but it wasn't God. So, uh, that was the first my impression. But the other impression that I get in a positive side, Sean, was the kindness, the generosity, like the people that I felt, um, wow, they actually care. They actually, there are people like me. And they start hearing about people 
suffering from so oh, and because I thought that's just me. I, I was so self-delusioned, self-centered that I thought the world is around just, you know, it's just me. Yeah. And uh, so that was my first impression. I remember my first impression. I was, it was 2010 when I went to my first meeting and uh-huh. it was a speaker meeting. Yeah. I didn't go willingly. I was invited by my dad and my dad was in recovery. It just so happened that speaker meeting, he was the speaker. So I had to sit there and listen to him and share his story about recovery. And I was so angry, man. Cause mm-hmm. like I was raised with this piece of shit that was an alcoholic. And now he's sharing his wonderful life with everybody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. That was my perception. It was like, fuck him. He's doing this for, you know, for everybody, you know, to like him and love him. And little did I understand, like he was doing it just like we're doing it now. Yeah. Right? Like he's sharing yeah. his experience, strength and hope with people. Um, so, yeah, but on a high note, man, you're, you're absolutely right. When you step in those rooms, the generosity of people is just wow. astounding. The love that you get, the support you get is just out. It's outrageous. It's totally like right now, Sean, I can tell you that my biggest, biggest uh, love that I have and received is from the people in the rooms. And I have, I can tell you 95 to 98% of all the people that I interact with during the rooms. And, uh, and, but there is a, you know, as you said, uh, there is, uh, I didn't know that there is, that I was selfish. I didn't know that I was inconsiderate. I didn't know that uh, anything about childhood trauma. I didn't know about that in my whole life. I, le- I live with resentment, guilt, shame. I didn't know. I thought this is just everybody feel like that and everybody living like that. And I'm just one of them. But I had no clue, no clue that alcohol and drug was just the symptom. I had other problems that I needed to take care of. And that's where my recovery begins. Absolutely. So time after time of, of going into the rooms, going into rehabs, relapsing, getting back up, picking yourself up over and over and over again, uh, you get to that point where you reach that final rehab. What changed at that time versus all the times before? I've been asked this question all the time, and here is it. Here it is. Almost nine years ago, I mean this, I lost everything again. One more business failed, and all my money is gone, and I'm this uh, motel room with the cockroaches and, and mouse and and filthy, and, uh, and I feel I'm, I just live like an animal, and... Uh, and my suddenly I got a, I still have a phone. My my sister called me and said, "Essie, you haven't been a, a, a father to your son for many years, and uh, but it's his wedding. Come to Iran, and uh, you know it's and a lot of the rules changed, so I could go back, and I already did once before, and." Uh, I said, I start bawling, I cried, and I said, sister, I would love to, but I'm, I'm really in a bad shape. I've been drinking and using drugs. I have no money. I'm just dying here. And she said, Essie, I will send you money. Go buy a ticket. Take care of yourself. I want you to be here. I received the money, Sean. I went and I bought the ticket. I packed my bag in this shitty hotel room that I was, three hours before the flight, Sean. I was so nervous. I was so scared. I told myself, just before I leave, so I get some courage to go to airport. I took a drink and I used some other, I used a couple hood of crack. I told myself just to calm me down so I can leave. As you know, 
as soon as I did that, it's over. I could not. The phenomenon of craving that we talk about kicks in. Nothing, nothing. Now, Sean, 20 people, four cars from Isfahan, which is my city, to capital. 20 people drive 500 kilometers. They knew my flight number. They knew everything. Three hours before the flight, I canceled my ticket. And I got them some of the money back. And I, they calling me, they emailing me, they do. And I don't have the guts to tell them what's going on. Yeah. They slept in an airport. That night, I wanted to kill myself again. And I bawled and I cried. And, and I, you suddenly... I said, I don't know what you call you with anger. I look at the sky and I said, I don't know what you call yourself. God, Jesus, Allah, Buddha, either kill me or save me. I can't do this anymore. And I fall asleep. And the next day, two of my friends, they came and they took me to my last recovery house and my journey starts and I told myself because I never heard anybody in my family back home because nobody knew what's going but that was the first time and I started going to 12 steps I start going to trauma group I start doing uh, counseling and exercise meditation and I dive in the middle of Uh, 12-step program and everything around it and that's that's the what that's what change that's that's pretty rough that Mm -hmm. that's intense you know i i've i (laughs) I remember getting to that point where i said i don't know i don't know who the fuck is up there Mm -hmm. whoever you are dude whoever you are end it or 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 help me because i can't do this shit on my own yeah that that moment of desperation is Mm -hmm. the key is the key for us you know um, the gift, the gift of desperation is one of the most beautiful things that I've ever been given. Um, so you enter into recovery, into, into your recovery house. Uh, what are some of the tools and the skills that you learned while you were in there that helped you be successful this time? Well, this time, because I, I really gave my hundred ten percent. I had to shut I had to shut up, shut down my shut my mouth, Sean, and forget about that everything that I knew about recovery, and follow suggestion, because my thinking, my best thinking, brought me to that place. My best thinking that I thought I'm a smart, I'm a businessman, and I'm a fuck, brought me to that that prey of fell down to my knees and I said that that would happen. So I start basically following. I got someone, which we call it, you know, for those who don't know, in 12th step, we call it sponsor. And and then I signed up for counseling. And then I signed up for trauma because, hey, childhood trauma is a huge thing. And I wasn't just suffering for one trauma or two, two I was like complex trauma yeah. and uh, and then I uh, I start helping other people I start really my life changed when I start thinking about you Sean my life changed because my whole life it's me me my resentment my finance my life me me and guess what happened every time so I had to build self-esteem. What is self-esteem? I How do I get self-esteem? I had to start doing a steamable act. What is a steamable act? Doing service. When I want to watch hockey game or I wanted to go to a concert, spend time with girlfriend at the time, and somebody called and said, hey, we need someone to talk or we need someone to pick a new guy. So doing uh, inconvenient action, Sean inconvenient action because it's easy to just go uh, to the meeting and just put my ass in a chair that's mm-hmm. not an inconvenient action inconvenient action is just get out of 
something that I really wanted to do and do something that, and every time, Sean, every time that I did an inconvenient action, my my soul, my spirit just become stronger. And I feel like, oh, my God. And I love it. And that's what I'm continuing to do. Yeah, I know. You know, those inconvenient actions. I, I don't know about you, but when I do those inconvenient actions, you know, that service work and everything like that, I'm like, fuck, I don't want to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, but I know that I'm going to receive something on the back end that I didn't even know I needed. And so every every single time that I'm like, shit, I just don't want to do this. I don't want to go to a meeting. I host other meetings outside of, outside of, you know, uh, 12 step programs. Mm-hmm. And every time I'm just like, fuck, I don't want to go. And I just sit here uh, and, and, you know, wait for the meeting to start, you know, cause it's two different time zones. And little did I know there, there was this revelation that comes to me in the middle of that meeting or toward the end of that meeting. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, shit, I, I'm glad that I came. I'm glad that, you know, I, I you know, I got out of my own way glad I got out of my own head. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that is to me is, are the, the most profound are the most quiet moments. Those quiet moments are the most profound ones for me. Totally. Totally. You know, it's like, I think Sean, one of the things that I always talk about, because this is not a, uh, uh, your audience should know, like there was time, that I didn't, I didn't eat for three days. I was eating McDonald's ketchup for three days. I was like in a bad place. And then to the place that people say, Essie, I'm not saying that to brag about it. I'm saying that if someone like me who came from a, un, a place of hell, then I people say, Essie, why don't you write a book? I said, me, I'm not a writer. Guess what happened? <laughs> That by itself was a therapeutic journey. I wrote the book that I got invited to New York, to LA. I saw this producer and then someone said, Essie, what, you know, I got invited to a, do a TEDx talks. And then I've been to, uh, it's like, and where I'm at today, if I tell someone if the, the life that I live today, and if I, at one point, wanted to take credit that look at me what i done i mean a deep shit sean yeah there is power working in my life which i don't know what to call it but i know there is something working in my life that brought me here and i have a purpose i have a message to carry to whoever that needs to hear that and uh, i have a phenomenal life in spite of what's going on in my life right now in spite of challenges in spite of financial difficulties in spite of a uh, lot of relationship problem and uh, i'm just totally blessed to be a part of uh, part of human human uh, hum, human uh, species the regular human yep you know one of, one of the things that i always preach to people that i work with and i don't even preach to them but i, I say quite often is life does not stop when you get sober no. Life gets harder, actually, because you're learning how to handle situations or work around situations where you normally would turn to that drink or that drug or, mm-hmm. or that 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 behavior. But now you have to do it in a sober mindset. Right. What is what is a hard situation that you faced while you're in recovery that you said, I'm not going to drink or do drugs? Great question, Sean. In. My eight and a half years of first eight and a half years recovery, I did not get in a relationship. I mean, serious relationship, intimate relationship. And uh, almost seven months ago, I got into this relationship that I wasn't in really good space. I wasn't, but I got into this relationship that at the time I said, wow, you know, oh, you know, early honeymoon stage, we call it. And then shit hit the fan, Sean. I mean, shit hit the fan. And and I thought I dealt with all my insecurity and trauma and all the things, but I haven't experienced this part. And I'm telling you, Life does not happen to us. 
life happened for us. So she came in my life and she, at the time I thought, oh my God, the things like I, that's the first time in my recovery that for a second I can tell that it was just a small shoo. It wasn't as strong because I have a, I, I believe I have a strong foundation of recovery. Yeah. But that was the first time something really emotional that I was bawling to the time. But I had to go through that. I had support group. I had counseling. I had sponsor. I had a meeting to go. I had a responsibility. And guess what happened? Today, I'm sitting front of you, Sean. I have nothing but goodwill for that individual and pray for her, for her family. And that wasn't, that wasn't me. Before, if I break up with someone, you fucking bitch and blame and all the shit and what you did to me. But today, honestly, I can say she helped me like, like no other because I had to go through deep down and work some childhood abandonment issues, some, uh, we call it trauma bonding. Some a trauma bonding enabled to to sit front of you and be totally okay and learn something that I can use in my future relationship. Absolutely, absolutely. So today, eight and a half years, what does your program look like today? You know, I um, June sixteen. It's my it's my sobriety day, so it's going to be nine years if I. Uh, uh, if I'm still sober by that time and what it looks like the, today, I am beyond, um, I have fellowship around me. I have reunion you. I have built, uh, made amends to my two son. I went to Iran uh, two years ago and I sit down and I made amends and we but we had three of us cried. I have a great relationship with my family and back home. Like they really like this, my son, they called me and his wife and they, they, they really love me like nothing. This is, I could not make that happen. Today in my community, in uh, the uh, recovery community, I've been told many times uh, that Essie, you are very respected, and like, oh my God, I am respected. The crackhead who wanted to kill himself and had uh, eating McDonald ketchup, and yeah. and I help other people, so I have a beautiful life in spite of the challenges that I have. Absolutely, trust me. Try the challenges won't stop. Uh, and I end with this, with this conversation. Either I just left the challenges. Let's Brown talk about this. Or I'm in challenges and guess what? Or I'm heading towards the challenges. That's fucking life. Either we like it or not. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. You know, no matter, no matter what, it's either you're, you're leaving the challenge, you're in the challenge or, or you're headed toward one, you know, it, it's life, you know, and and I, I think that's a good way to look at it, you know, and, and I'm so happy that you made amends with your sons. That's that's oh. that's amazing. I'm oh. best feeling in the world. Wow. That was. Uh, yeah. Even talking about it gives me like on oh, my heart. It's just so <laughs> uh, I'm just so blessed. I'm just so blessed, brother. Yeah, I. You know, and, and you were talking about being respected and, and you know, in, in your recovery community. And I, I got some of that, you know, mm. uh, someone came to me and said, you know, we, you know, you're an inspiration. I was like, me, I'm, how am I an inspiration? Mm. Like, like, I'm just, I'm just Sean, the dude that was, you know, that's, that's been around the world, came back and, <laughs> and, and has this problem and it. The problem is not alcohol. It's this thing right here. Mm. Right. And, and you, we really don't realize, you know, the lives that we change, the lives that we touch it, by our actions and by, you know, the way we conduct ourselves. So um, I'm extremely proud of you. Thank you. I'm, same thing. Same thing. Thank you.
Thank you, brother. So yeah. before before we go, before we wrap up, what would you give to what what mm-hmm. advice or suggestion would you give to somebody that is struggling in their addiction or they're in early recovery and they're like, I don't know if this is for me? What would you what would you give them? My uh, when I when I work with the new people or I talk to them, I see where they're coming from. I remember if they if they have a kids daughter, son, I would ask them, do you want to watch your children graduate? Do you want to see them grow and get married? Do you want to be part of their life? And if the answer is yes, it's the way that you're living or at least that's been my experience, you won't have a chance. Because I noticed that if I if I want to give advice, I can't get my experience. Desperation phase off for a while. So I have to look for something that pulls me, which is inspiration, which is something that I look forward to. And, and so uh, there is... Some stuff that people can do in able to, that is one of them, to look for something that really they can look forward to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where can we find you, Essie? Well, uh, I am all over the place. EssieBagheri.com, DoNotGiveUpNow.com is my website, DoNotGiveUpNow.com. And um, I'm on so all the social media and uh, yeah, anything I can do to be to be helpful or to uh, to be part of anybody's life, I, it's, it would be an honor. Anything I can do to help anybody. Absolutely, Essie. It's been a pleasure and it's been an honor, and I am humbled to have you as a guest and to hear your story and share your experience, strength, and hope with us. My pleasure. Uh, you are an inspiration to me. I hope you know that. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Looking forward to uh, connect with you more in future, Sean. Absolutely. Absolutely. And everybody, uh, thank you for being a part of this journey. Thank you for for listening uh, to Essie's story. And until next time, much love. Be good. Bye.